Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Oh God, you know what? I love it here. I love it over here. I love being 54. I Mm. highly recommend it. I found my, certainly my late 40s were really tough. The world as it should be from Prima Donna. Sam Baker is a journalist, broadcaster and author. She's edited and written for magazines including Company, Chat and Take a Break and is former editor-in-chief of Cosmopolitan and Red. She's also written for other publications including The Guardian, Sunday Times and Stylist. Sam has judged the Women's Prize of Fiction, the Costa Novel Award and the British Book Awards. She is the author of four novels and one work of non-fiction, The Shift, which seeks to give a voice to women over 40. Marion Keyes said of The Shift, I need this book. We all need this book. If menopause happened to men, there would be celebrations and parties every time one of them completed their change. I love this quote so much. Welcome to the Prima Donna podcast, Sam. Thank you for having me. I'm loving your little double act. (laughs) (laughs) We're working on it. (laughs) I'm not sure if it's Lauren and Hardy or Abbott Costello. I don't know. Um, so as you know, this podcast focuses on the world as it should be. So we ask our guests to name three ways in which they change the world if they could. Your first answer is fascinating. Um, you suggest that we should stop shaming women for being over 40. In what ways do you think we do? Well, I have to say that I, my first urge was just to say, I think we should eliminate the patriarchy, Donald Trump and sausages and life would be grand. (laughs) And then I thought, mm, and probably everybody says, let's just eliminate the patriarchy. So I've got to think of something else. Yeah, but also everyone loves sausages. So, Oh, I have a bad sausage experience from when I was little. <laughs> we might come yeah. back to this. <laughs> anyway, yes, age shaming women over 40. I think it's one of those things that you obviously don't realise how bad ageism is until you until you get there yourself. And it, it was, I was so shocked at the speed, particularly say mid late 40s onwards, at the speed at which I seemed to be vanishing. Um, when I spoke to, uh, I mean, before, this was long before I thought I need to write a book about this and, and kind of get this out there. It's just, I mean, I hardly know where to start from the fashion industry, which thinks you, either cease to exist or only want to buy your clothes from the catalogues, you know, that are sold in the back of the Daily Telegraph, through the beauty industry that thinks, you know, everything is about pretending you're not old, the advertising industry that thinks you don't exist, to workplaces which are just trying to sideline you out. It's just absolutely astonishing. And, of course, it applies to men too. Um, But as somebody I was speaking to said yesterday, let someone else write that book. Let's talk about women. <laughs> I also wonder if it's not as blatantly obvious with men. I don't know. Well, men are silver foxes, aren't they? You know, w- women are, are old bags, you know, bossy old cows, you know, they're grannies. Men are silver foxes. They have gravitas. But, but So, you know, men don't vanish at 50. They become CEOs and company directors. But I remember when I was editing Red and I was 45 and I looked up and thought, what next? I thought, oh, nothing, nothing next. Everybody's gone. Mm, that's really interesting. And what did, when you've got such a, an amazing career in 
magazines and journalism. What did, what have you noticed over the years about women and how did you try and empower women that you worked with? Well, oh gosh. I mean, the thing that I always loved about editing magazines was the um, tapping into a kind of um, identifying a need and tapping tapping into it. So those moments when, you know, editing a magazine right the way through from Just 17 through to Red and then onto the pool um, and now the shift was that people, you know, was when you got letters and emails and tweets from people saying, my God, it's like you're it's like you're in my head. And, and so that's kind of I feel like I spent my career trying to give voice to those things that were going on in women's lives, but get kept getting pushed onto a back burner. That's what I hope I did anyway. Yeah, well, I'm sure you've made a difference, but do you feel like things are changing or have changed for the better? Um, well, yes, of course, of course. But I, I, it does often feel like we take, uh, you know, two steps forward and one and a half steps back. I mean, I interviewed Kate Moss and, um, of the Women's Prize fame, and she said, you know, it was a factor of working in the office in the 80s that women were expected to manage sexual harassment and, and, and sexual assault and, you know, a bit of groping by the photocopier. For other women, they were expected to not put themselves in that situation. They were expected to just tell other women not to get in a lift with him, you know, all of those things. And it was really, well, I suppose it was until Anita Hill that nobody even talked about sexual harassment sexual harassment wasn't even a thing so I am waffling no you're not at all it's fascinating I was actually wondering if you've experienced it and what happened oh I mean I'm I'm about to really sound my age but just standard office groping mansplaining making the tea you know I love how to call it standard you know it was standard I think the point really and it's it's really what made me think we need to start talking, speaking out about menopause and um, and the way women over 40 and 50 are treated in the workplace, for instance, um, was that I started working with millennial women and there was no way they would put up with that shit. You know, they weren't putting up with any sexual harassment in, in the workplace, certainly not women, young women working in the media. Um, and there's no way that they'll put up with that menopause shit when it when when their time comes. So, we, in your book, The Shift, you you name check um, lo- lots and lots of people, but writers specifically like Jermaine Greer, who wrote a book on the menopause. Um, sh- how important do you think it is that we, as you have, write about this stuff and put it out there? I think it's really important. I mean, it's it's very interesting. You speak to women who are slightly older than me. So I'm 54. If you speak to women in their 60s, they are very likely to say things like, oh, no, you don't want to go on about that because, you know, it makes us look weedy. It makes men think that we're not up to the job. Um, And then you speak to women, younger women, they're like, no, I've got my period. I've got chronic cramp. I need to work from home. You know, back in the days when we didn't work from home all the time anyway. And I think, you know, we need to normalize it. I mean, I want to know if Nicola Sturgeon is menopausal. You know, I, I want to know. I really want to know what Kamala Harris does about hot flushes. I think there's an intergenerational lesson to be learned as well. I remember reading Jermaine Greer when I was in my 20s because I 
wrote about her for my studies and reading her book, The Change, and just feeling like, what is she going on about? <laughs> like it was a massive exactly. educational uh, turn for me. And, and it's, it, you know, that, that kind of exchange is really important so that women f- can support other women of different ages and different experiences, um, either at work or outside of work. I think one of the most cheering things, uh, you know, I mean, the shift, the book and the podcast had a massive response. But one of the most cheering things was when younger women, you know, like my uh, literary agent is 30, um, Emma Gannon, who's 30, both said that they felt the book really made them feel much better equipped to what was coming for, you know, coming for them. And I think you know, there's a tendency to dismiss both upwards and downwards, I think, cross-generationally. I mean, we're seeing that happen a bit at the moment. And we there's so much that we can all learn from each other. I definitely feel like I've become more outspoken because of working with younger millennial women. And, you know, like Helen Mirren says that she, you know, she wished that she just said fuck an awful lot more times, an awful lot younger. And, you know. Yeah. Can I can I tell you quickly my Jermaine Greer anecdote because I think it, it goes to serve this point, which is that I so I wrote my dissertation on her and I, I was a bit obsessed with her at this point and I was walking down Bethnal Green Road and honestly this honestly happened a limousine pulled up as I walked past a chippy a fish and chip shop and Jermaine Greer got out <laughs> she walked into the chippy. And I was so overwhelmed by what was happening that I, I couldn't, I got sort of frozen to the spot and I got my phone out to call a friend of mine to say, you won't believe who's just got out of the car in front of me. And at the, that point, a boy on a bike tried to steal my phone. <laughs> and I was so pumped from seeing Jermaine Greer that I wrestled my phone off him and <laughs> retained it in my possession. I felt that that was well, You, that was you have to, to tell her. Jermaine Greer this story. One day. <laughs> oh, I, anyway. I, I thought you were going to shout, fuck off, Jermaine Greer's in the chip shop. <laughs> no, no. I was stunned in silence. That's such a great story, Catherine. Shall we move on to your second um, change to create the world as it should be? Absolutely. Okay. Do you want to talk us through your plans for Dolly Parton to be made president? <laughs> I don't really have any plans. I just have a fantasy. I think... <laughs> Dolly is made of good, isn't she? I think yeah. that the, if everybody could just be more Dolly. Oh, and President Parton would be a better place. President Parton. So great. I mean, really. I'm sorry, eat your heart out, Jed Bartlett. <laughs> President Parton. I just think oh, all, all our dreams would come true at once. But I just think Dolly is a revelation, really. You know, she is a working class woman of immense talent, entirely self-made, spends all her money making other people's lives better and wore an on-trend shoulder hole top to have her jab. So great. And turned her song into a vaccine song. Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, her literacy work, her... I mean, everything about her. And she's just so unequivocally herself as well. She's just, she doesn't give a shit about ageing. You know, she's, you know, I was going to say she's lucky she's in a position where she can't be sidelined, but she's not. It's that kind of luck where you work really hard. Yeah, but she was, I mean, she did kind of fall out of the limelight for a little while. And that documentary on her is fascinating because it shows how she had to rethink, you know, she she got a new manager, um, 
and it worked. And then Glastonbury turned so much around for her. Glastonbury so, was the incredible. moment, wasn't it? She right. fell out of fashion. I mean, well, she was right. never fashionable, actually. She was a very, very successful right. country and singer. she did it in a very classy way. Her comeback was, I thought, very classy and kind of quiet and just built and built. And I also love the fact she's very open about wearing wigs. Yes. Yeah. I mean, on the um, the Shift podcast, I ask I ask every guest who their old bird role model is, and she is one of the most frequently chosen. Is she? That's brilliant. Um, you've said your your life philosophy is: if someone says you can't prove them wrong, fight your own battles and admit your mistakes. Do you think that's something Dolly would agree with? Dolly, that Dolly probably said it before me. <laughs> to be honest, that that actually came from. Um, I had two knockbacks when I was a teenager. I mean, I come from a really ordinary background in my dad's um, a bricklayer builder. Um, I went to comprehensive school and um, it was so it would have been late 70s. There was um, the careers teacher who was like this grumpy old middle aged beardy man. And uh, we so we all had to go to our, our careers advice session. Uh, you know, and he said to me, what do you want to do? And I, at that point in my life, I was so, I had just discovered Smash Hits and I was so enamored with Smash Hits. I was in love with it. And I was like, I, I want to write for Smash Hits. That's what I want to do. Because I thought that all they did on Smash Hits was like learn song lyrics or, yeah, and meet, and meet, meet, and meet Duran Duran. Exactly. Um, and uh, And he looked at me and he said, what? And I was like, no, I want, I want to be a journalist. I want to work on magazines. And he, he, he sneered at me and he said, girls like you don't do jobs like that. But, you, you know, you, if you're basically, if you're lucky, you can be a teacher. And, you know, being a teacher is a really, really good and important job. But it was like a girl like you can't even aspire to that. Isn't it fascinating? Because that's exactly what he was taught, genuinely what he believed. Mm. Yeah, he did believe it. He didn't. I'm sure that he he probably said it to nearly every kid who went in there with any aspiration at all. To be honest, it probably wasn't just a girl thing. But he, um, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure that that you know he, he have you ever had the chance him. to tell him what you've been no, up to? No, <laughs> no. And I'm so old, and he was old then, so he's probably long gone. To be quite honest, show <laughs> So who's laughing now? <laughs> so another of like a striking anecdote that you mentioned in, in your book centers on uh, when you're, you're raising funds for the pool, the online magazine that you founded. <laughs> um, sorry, I'm rocking now. <laughs> and you go into a meeting with a, an affluent man and he kindly suggests to you after that you've made your presentation to him that the next time you, you bring a man with you to make investors feel more comfortable. That's the line that you quote. <laughs> Um, I mean, that's, it's a great story. It, you know, it's, it sort of says a lot without having to go into lots of detail. How do you think Dolly would have dealt with a man like that? Um, and do you think Dolly has made her investors feel uncomfortable in her um, life? Dolly doesn't have any investors. Dolly is Not the now, investor. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, Dolly is the epitome, isn't she, of if you want something doing, do it, do it yourself. Mm. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, yeah, I mean... There are so many things I wish I'd said to that man. And there are many nights, even all these years later, there are many nights I lie awake thinking of things I should have said to that bloke. But we have all had moments like that when men have said things and it's only afterwards 
Yeah. And the, the thing that really, the thing that really compounds the story, you, you say, I think you say you, you even thanked him as you left the meeting. I'm sure I did. I know, I'm we've sure all done I it. said thank you for your time. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. that was just, the, that was the tip of the iceberg, but that, um, that particular anecdote illustrates the entire fundraising experience as um, a woman trying to raise money in a man's world. And my, um, my sister-in-law, um, until recently worked for one of the great big kind of finance companies. And the other day she sent me a link to, I think it was the Harvard Business Review, which said that something like women get something like 2%, women run businesses get something like 2% of all investment. She was like, this is so shocking. Wow. It's like, Al, this is not new. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is how it is. I mean, there's like 2018, um, one investor invested more in WeWork than um, – all the money that was invested in American female-run startups. Oh my in god! One year, shocking. One investor and one business. It's so shocking, and things are slowly, slowly improving. I mean, you know, Bumble just floated on uh, the stock exchange, and Whitney Wolfherd was the youngest ever female self-made investor. But I then this kind of brings us brings us back to the youth thing because I remember when Bumble launched in the UK and you know the pool was still alive at that point and one of the young women who worked for the pool went to the press launch and she came back and she was like oh my god it was so exciting I'm so energized it was uh, you know it was all women I mean we were all women on the pool at that point as well she was like yeah we were, they were all women and they were all under 30 and I said you know here's the thing it will be really really revelatory when it's all women and they're not all under 30 you know, because under 30, it's, that's almost fine. You know, if we've got to have lots of women, let them all be young. Right. That leads me on to one of my favourite quotes from The Shift, which is never argue with a woman over 40. They are full of rage and sick of everyone's shit. They are. And it's such they a great are. quote because it builds up and builds up. So what was the turning point for you? Have, did you have a trigger where you just thought, right, I've got to do something? Uh, what, pre-pool or after-pool or... Just Both. in life. Yeah, life. generally. I think maybe what also writing the shift, what made you think, you know, this book needs to be written? Well, I think female anger is such an interesting thing. And one of the chapters that um, actually has had the most feedback in the shift is the one about anger. Because you're. it's almost like you may be allowed to be angry as a little girl. And then by the time you're probably 10, you've learned that that is not a dumb thing. You know, it's not it's not what good girls do. It's not appropriate behavior. It's not allowed. It's not attractive. Um, then you go through your adult life and angry women are hysterical. They're mad cows. You know, they're it's 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 not allowed. Whereas angry men are forceful and dominant and know their minds. And then menopause hits perimenopause. Really, I suppose what I mean when I say menopause is perimenopause. And you've got all of this suppressed rage and you just don't For know what years. to do with it. Four years. Yeah, years worth, actually. And I went through this certainly a couple of years where, I mean, my husband said it was like living in a tornado. But I didn't really know. So it's it's almost, well, you know, what I think my view is that perimenopause is like a reverse puberty. And so you're going through that kind of puberty maelstrom of hormones but with all the responsibility and experience and angst of a 50-year-old. 
And I think perimenopause is funny though, isn't it? Because one of the symptoms, which is quite common, is sleeplessness, yeah. which will then feed into the anger because you just get very tired. And yeah, so all of those things feed into, I mean, there are something like 64 symptoms and the one that we all know is hot flushes. Right. So it's only really once you start having hot flushes that you think, oh, maybe I'm perimenopause. And all that anxiety and anger and lack of confidence and insomnia and panic attacks, all of those things, you know, and people thinking they've got dementia because they don't know about that. All of those things build up into this kind of great big... Uh, Gosh, and now I'm having pink fog. So that's also a symptom. <laughs> but I think the really interesting thing is it really does. It can start, you know, so well, so well before you actually hit menopause, a good five years or more. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we a lot of women don't know. And I certainly didn't know that what we call menopause is perimenopause. And menopause is really just one day when you haven't had a period for a year. And then you're kind of post-menopause or with occasional you know, occasional symptoms or you're taking HRT or, or however it is you're handling it. But it wasn't until I was through all of that. And I was still angry, but my anger was focused, really. And also the, the pool had collapsed and, 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 you know, it'd been a very difficult and painful time. Um, and I had also had some uh, therapy, 18 months worth of therapy for PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, related to an abusive relationship that I was in in my late teens, which I had just really shelved in the back of my mind for 30 years. So all of this kind of combined, and when I came through it, I just thought how much easier would life have been if I had had the faintest bloody clue what was coming for me. Yeah, you could have explained what was going on. Did you feel a yeah. sense of relief when you finally, when you did hit the menopause did you oh feel God, sad? You know I love it here. I love it over here. <laughs> I love being 54. I highly recommend it. I found my, certainly my late forties were really tough. You know, I love being in my fifties. I feel more confident in myself than ever. I feel more my self-esteem, which has always been a bit of a rocky beast, um, is probably as good as it's going to get. I've got the, you know, to kind of touch back onto the anger I feel like I'm still really angry but it's really productive and focused it's not rudderless fury it's like hmm, you know I don't like that and I'm going to do something about it so yeah I think you will find if you ask a lot of women certainly older women you know women in, into their 50s and beyond they love it mm. I think that's a really empowering message. I think there is a fear of turning, whether it's 40, definitely turning 50. But I think it's really empowering and positive to hear you say that you love it there and it's great. But don't you think society just sidelines definitely. older women? So because of that, then you kind of learn to be afraid of getting old and you older and you start lying about your age. I mean, I remember when I was researching the book and I Googled older women and honestly, Google doesn't know the difference between older and old. You bet you get Stannis stair lifts, you know, and 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 grannies. I mean, that's what you get. Yeah, this is why we fully endorse your Dolly for president as an example, as an exemplar older woman who um who who can also connect. She really connects with young people, you know. Um, so how as old you, is she? I don't even know. She's seventy-five. She See, she's only four years. She's two years older than Trump. 
um, I'm making the sign of the cross here. And um, at four years younger than Biden, you know, go for it, Dolly. Dolly, Absolutely. here are plea. Well, and also, I, I don't know if you heard last month that they, uh, Dolly's from Tennessee and uh, she asked for plans. For, they were planning to put a statue of her up in the Capitol in Tennessee. And she asked that they stop they stopped dis- debating that and, 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 and just the comparison between her humbleness, she said, given all that's going on in the world, I don't think putting me on a pedestal is appropriate. That's funny. It's witty. It's humble. It has, it's the opposite of the narcissism and self-referentiality of Trump and, and so many men that get to be powerful, you know, yeah. political I players. remember reading that and thinking Trump would have asked for two. He would be like, why just one? It's interesting as well, though, isn't it? Because it also shows a real understanding of what society's like. And once someone's on a pedestal, especially a woman, there's only one way they're going and it's it's down. Yeah. And it yeah. didn't sound like her it's answer didn't smart. sound like it wasn't what she was saying. She wasn't saying it to be what everyone wanted to hear. I think it was very genuine. I think she mm. just genuinely yeah. thought it's not appropriate right now. Yeah. But she did say, you know, when I'm gone, go for it. So, yeah, I mean, this word has been ruined, but she really is authentic, isn't it? She is absolutely. Yeah, for an incredibly inauthentic physical being. <laughs> she is yeah. really, yeah, we, we love her. We're fully behind this motion that we you're... love Dolly. Now, I just, I'm going to move on to your third answer. And I'm, because I started imagining what Dolly would be like in a world where she, she might have to, but she might have Zooms every day. Because your third answer was you'd create a Zoom where you don't have to look at yourself. Oh, God. I honestly think that's the problem with Zoom. I mean, also that it's boring and you have to concentrate and put your hand up and all, there are so many things wrong with it's it. It's exhausting. But, I mean, there is Zoom fatigue is a natural thing now, I think. Yes. And there was some research um, I read earlier in the week, which it did say that one of the reasons that Zoom is so tiring is because you have to look at yourself all day, every day. And that is not a natural state of being, is it? Other people have to look at you. And I don't know, does, does Zoom, I wish bad luck, but Zoom, does Zoom do the mirror flip? So are you looking at a mirror image or are you looking at a photographic image? Yes, you know? I find this really confusing as well because it does a mirror flip. So when you look in a mirror, you see the Zoom version of yourself. But if you play back a Zoom recording, you see yourself you see in real life. As, as, yeah, it's how people see you and it just blows my That's mind. That's a bit black mirror, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so it's different. So really, it should be easier to look at the mirror version of yourself than the real life yeah. version of yourself. So do you turn your camera off? No, because I think, you know, it helps conversation, doesn't it, to be able to see people. But, you know, everybody, I mean, I did a, a Zoom board meeting yesterday with someone and there were 12 of us there. And I think probably... And it wasn't a male, male, female thing, actually. It was everybody. But literally at one some point, everybody commented on their own appearance, their hair or their... And I think you do... Well, maybe it's just me, but I spend a lot of time looking at myself and thinking, why didn't I put any makeup on? Why am I wearing that jumper? Why does my hair do that? Oh, you know? yeah, absolutely. Oh, God, I'm going really grey at the front and you can really yeah. see it on that camera. But I think it's partly awkwardness because there's these gaps when some people are frozen and some people are delayed or someone has tech issues, there's all this pressure to kind of fill silence. So I think a lot of that is kind of, oh my God, look at my hair or I don't know. I just find it so awkward sometimes. I'm happy to look at everybody else. I just don't want to look at me. Yeah. 
It's kind of an extension of the social media world that we live in, isn't it? Where you feel like you have to curate your appearance. So you have to, you know, you have to organize your backdrop so you don't look disorganized. <laughs> you have to, yeah. Yeah. You, you, yeah, it's it's weird. And and you know you know loads about that, you know, you're super aware of of kind of the challenges of of how women particularly are policed in in relation to their appearance. Um do, so do you think creating a zoom where you don't have to look at yourself will be better for women or is it a gender neutral advancement? Um uh Maybe the men I know aren't representative. I think it it's quite gender neutral, I think, although I do think the kind of, you know, Zoom earrings and wearing a nice Zoom blouse, and whatever, <laughs> not that I ever do any of those things, but <laughs> I know people who do, um, asking for a friend. Uh, those <laughs> I, I haven't heard any men talking about that, I have to say. About their Zoom blouses. Yeah, but so it would be good if you could turn your camera off for you but yeah. not for right. them, yeah. which is I something, agree. surely Zoom can just do that and do a bug fix. I think that this fantasy of mine can come. Can, uh, come yeah, I, can. I like bet it's... Dolly would sort it out. <laughs> I bet she would. But talking I think we Zoom, may be asking too much of Dolly here. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she wants to be president. But do you have a special Zoom background? Like a lot of people see it. I mean, publishing, we have a lot of meetings and a lot of us are in front of our bookshelves because that's genuinely where we are working. Do you have a special background and I wanted to ask about your bookshelves because everyone is a bit obsessed with colour coordination do you colour coordinate oh, your books no I don't colour coordinate um I that will get on to colour coordination I mean I find it a bit annoying um that I have where I sit my back is actually to a door so if you could see me now you'd just be able to see a door and a wall but when I'm doing if I'm hosting an event where you know a book event or interviewing someone for public consumption, then I'll slightly turn round so that um, it's not the most comfortable, but it does mean that my bookshelves are behind me. But the bookshelves in my office, um, office, yeah, the room where I work, um, are pretty untidy, I've got to say, because they're my inner books that come in and go out and it's um I've just tidied it. I don't know why I tidied it up and we, we you haven't got a video running, so it was all for naught. Oh, sorry. We should have we oh. could have had those minutes back. To... You could always send us a photo. We can <laughs> put it on the will. website. I'll send you a photo so you yeah. can see how tidy they are. I just wanted to ask you to segue seamlessly from your Zoom where you don't have to look at yourself, which, by the way, I think is totally doable. And I hope Zoom are listening because I think you'd ha they'd have a lot of customers for this. You've always had a gap for a gift. Sorry for sensing a gap in the market. Um, through a gap, yes. <laughs> you've always had a gap. <laughs> Sorry, you've always, had a gap. <laughs> you've always had a gift for sensing a gap in the market. Um, what are you looking at next? Is there anything else that you think you want to pinpoint? What What are the projects that you're writing? Are you writing two books at the moment? Is that madness? Yeah, I was thinking, how can you write two books at the same time? <laughs> well, the truth is, I'm not actually writing either of them, but I should be writing two. <laughs> But lockdown, lockdown really has eaten my brain this time. Mm, I'm, I'm really struggling. Yeah. I think it's because it's, it's been a year. You know? You're not the only one, really. It's yeah, it's a collective yeah. slump right now. I think. Yeah, it's that whole. Anyway, um, so I've, there's a non-fiction and fiction. So I'm, I'm trying to get my fiction brain back. Um, the non-fiction is well, well, I don't want to jinx it really, but this, you know, the shift really. Um, it really did take off in a way that 
I kind of hadn't really anticipated, particularly the podcast. I mean, I knew that there was a need because everybody I spoke to was like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm I'm this sort of age. I'm kind of north of 40. I don't know what's coming for me. But also, I just want to hear voices of of other older women. So, I mean, you know, I absolutely love doing the podcast because I love nosing into the lives of, you know, other older women. So, you know, whether I kind of tend to cut off at about 40, but I'll go, I'll go as old as it gets. And, you know, I just, the most recent um, episode that's just come out was um, Isabella Allende, who oh, is 79 and has been in um, self-imposed exile for best part of 50 years. Um, she was so fascinating. I could have spoken to her all day, you know, so that's, you know, that's a real gift. So I'm working around that and I'm also working on uh one of the things the other things apart from anger that was really popular in the book was um older women's attitudes to sex and relationships so I'm doing more work around that so at the moment or not doing it actually but you know I'm not surprised that that's been something that's really kind of hit, hit a nerve because it's so little written about it you know it's even even reading your book I was I was kind of not shocked you know but it, it sort of it it makes you kind of stop and realize I've never read this kind of material before that makes it sound really dirty I'm not <laughs> but do you yeah. know what I mean it's kind of yeah. content that um we're not we're not accustomed to hearing about those experiences the things that happen to women's bodies post well post 18 really um so yeah I, I, it's it's I'm not surprised that that's kind of provoked an, a very wow. belated conversation well we only talk about like as you just said women's bodies in puberty mm. Um, and in childbirth, and and that's kind of it. So there extremes. was that whole um, yeah, there's that whole chapter about um, vaginal atrophy. Sorry, yeah. yeah, it's a thing. You need to know about it. Um, so there's that chapter, but also the chapter about um, you know love and sex and relationships. I and I did a kind of a straw poll of my focus group, which was, at that point was about fifty women, and the percentage. I mean, it was something like eighty percent of the women who responded either had divorced from their husband in their forties or fifties, or wanted to. Wow! And it was it was really shocking, actually, how dissatisfied. Yeah, but also terrifying for men. <laughs> those are those are scary stats if you're a married straight man, aren't they? Well, yeah, you'd think, but you know, some of them may be oblivious. Some of them maybe don't care. You know, I think. Yeah, I don't know, or maybe they just think there'll be a younger one along in a minute. I don't know. But it's that kind of classic thing how men vote give themselves nine out of ten, don't they? And women. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just have one last question, which is when you were doing all this research and all these things were coming up that's so interesting, do you miss being a journalist and putting it all down? And do you miss working in the magazine sector? Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I think I loved writing The Shift because it was so much about being a journalist. It's very, very different um, writing experience to writing fiction, as you can imagine. Um, yeah, I miss, I don't miss all the, pain of running 
a magazine or a website and the you know fundraising and management and all of that but I do miss I absolutely love the morning conference where you would get you know five or ten people together and they would you know pull their thoughts on the day's events and then you know you would kind of mix it all up in a bowl and then take up come out with seven or eight pieces that were the product of all those people's minds I mean yeah I often you know I I go through all the news and um, the sites I always look at every morning and I'm you know I do often think oh you know I should that's I'd take that there and I'd you know this is what I do with that but then I set up a Substack, thinking oh well I'll write a newsletter and I'll do that several days a week and of course I've set it up it's got you know, every so often I get a follower and I think, oh, shit, I need to do something about that. <laughs> so looking back, would you, do you have any, do you think you would give someone advice if, some, you know, 30 years old, say, woman starting out and, well, journalist, but not really knowing what to do next? From your experience, is there anything you would have done vastly differently that you would offer as a golden tip? Oh, God, I would just spend a lot less time worrying about what other people think. I mean, really, I don't mean be an asshole and, and, and trample all over people, but I've wasted so much time worrying about what people think, worrying about what people thought about that thing that I did that can't be changed anyway. You know, you can't affect what people think about you. You know, I mean, you can to a certain extent, but I think I wasted, you know, months of my life you know worrying about other people's opinions of me and I think that that's very very common certainly for women of you know of uh slightly older women but I think younger women too and that's that that would be the number one and also to kind of trust your gut you know we uh how do I put it how's the best way to put it I just think that you're not always going to be right and you're not always going to be wrong. And that's fine. But there are a lot of people who just carry on through life. And I don't want to make this a gender thing, but I think it, again, it's a lot more women than men do this. A lot, you know, who don't trust their gut, don't go with what they think. Someone else puts a counter opinion and they think, oh, well, there, stroke he's probably right. Or they put their opinion more forcefully. And then the number of times I have kind of bitten my tongue or thought, oh, well, I'm probably wrong. That I, I really wish I hadn't. I, I think if, if I had had that kind of insight at 30, there were probably quite a few things I would have done differently. Or sooner, mm-hmm. maybe just sooner. There's, you, you quote someone in the book, I'm just trying to remember who it was, who says, who says, sort of sums it up by saying, you you know, you spend a certain amount of time in, when you're younger worrying about what people said, and then you realise no one's thinking about you at all. <laughs> and that's, that's Elizabeth Gilbert. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I've actually got that quote. on my wall. It's right. stuck above my desk. It's, um, we all spend our 20s and 30s trying so hard to be perfect because we're so worried about what people will think of us. Then we get into our 40s and 50s and we finally start to be free because we decide that we don't give a damn what anyone thinks of us. But you won't be completely free until you reach your 60s and 70s when you finally realise this liberating truth. Nobody was ever thinking about you anyhow. (laughs) That's brilliant. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank 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 you. Take care. 
Thank you so much for listening to The World As It Should Be. We hope it inspires you to work towards shaping the world as you think it should be. You can find out more about Prima Donna Festival by going to primadonnafestival.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. Tell your friends about us. We're on Spotify too and all good platforms. The World As It Should Be from Prima Donna. as it should be from Prima Donna.